Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's Around the House. All these people out there, they're like, oh, I'm done doing chlorine. I'm going to go saline or salt. What's your opinion on that? Because, you know, there's a scale pitch for every hot tub. Brakes are on. So salt makes chlorine. Chlorine. I know that. making it of that salt. (laughs) These things are exactly the same. So you you describe two things which are the same. And uh, some people know that, but a lot of people don't still. There's a lot of misinformation out there about salt water. It's not an alternative in any way. The only thing you changed is where you get your chlorine from. (laughs) Somebody else used to make it for you and then give you a jug of chlorine. Now what you do is you just buy the same base ingredients they were using and you make your own chlorine right in the swimming pool. So those two things are the same. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B, your home improvement source every single week. Thanks for joining us, Caroline. We have a excellent guest in the studio today that I am so excited for. Hi, everybody. I am thrilled for our guest. You know I love a pool, and I, you know I love swimming, and I you know I want a pool. So he's the, he's the golden child in my eyes. There we go. We got Swimming Pool Steve coming on, a second-generation pool and spa builder with over 50,000 hours of on-site experience. Welcome to Around the House, brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for coming on, man. You have been owning YouTube with your pool advice out there. And uh, it's that time of year, man. Things are warming up. People are thinking about hitting that pool or or even uh, getting that hot tub up and running. It's true. Yeah, getting the pool for sure. I'm up in Ontario, Canada. So right now, everybody is opening their swimming pool. It's hot and everyone is going to want to be swimming very shortly. Uh, hot tubs, kind of the same thing. But interesting to mention, I've always wondered why close a hot tub? Like for me, using the hot tub year round, like why not use it in the winter? It's the best time to use it. There is nothing like sitting out in a hot tub with snow in your hair, little icicle in the beard and sitting out there with a with a beverage and enjoying the cold. The only bad part is, is that walk to the house. Cause <laughs> if it's icy, that can be its own little dangerous experience. That is absolutely true. And that's actually the first thing that, uh, that you preach about hot tubs is, well, where should I put this thing? Trust me, put it close to the door. <laughs> that walk of shame when it's, when it's icy out there and the chance of you eating it on a, on a cold icy deck in the wintertime, it's not absolutely. comfortable. But at the same time, if you're not jumping into a snowbank and then back into a hot tub, you're just not living. Yes. There you go. Caroline, see, that's what you got to be doing in the wintertime. Mm. Well, I'm, a, I'm the, an environmental consultant by trade. And so my gripe with hot tubs is that they always get moldy no matter what you do. So do you have a way to prevent that from happening? Because a lot of the, the hot tubs here, at least in the Northeast, seem to, if you keep them closed up for a while and then you reopen them, they get this kind of musty smell. 
Oh, definitely. And, uh, you know, just in general, like I've, I've got a fair bit of experience with hot tubs uh, up to and including, you know, managing a pretty busy hot tub store uh, for a period of time at a water lab. And what I discovered is that the vast majority of people, and I'm talking like 95% of hot tub owners, are not taking care of their hot tubs properly. And they're missing some really fundamental stuff that is going to result in things like you're describing here, where you get like these musty smells or other problems. And they're not supposed to be like that. Like hot tubs aren't supposed to smell bad. That's one of the most common complaints. Like, oh, hot tubs, you know, how do I make my water smell better? It's like, if it smells bad, it's probably not balanced to begin with. And uh, just to, to put a pin in this, the most important thing, if you have a hot tub and you're hearing this and you're like, well, I wonder if I'm one of these people, we probably are. If you're not pipe flushing, every time you drain your hot tub, before you drain the old water away, you need to clean out all of the junk that builds up inside the plumbing lines because that's where all the bacteria is. And when you just drain and refill, or even if you drain and like scrub with some vinegar, you're missing all of that junk that's inside the plumbing line. So that pipe flush procedure is a critical element that hot tub owners should be doing every time they drain their hot tub which also they should probably be doing more than they're doing. So how often should you do that? And then how do you drain it? Knowing people okay, are doing so it right. So you should drain once every once every four months is kind of the, the conventional logic. The problem that I have with this is everyone hears that and they're like, okay, perfect. Once every four months, I'm going to drain this. Or maybe once every three months even. But the problem is, is that, that is, that's assuming that you've maintained it properly the entire time. So and true. Most people aren't. Most people aren't even close to maintaining it properly the whole time. Like if it ever turned green at all, even for a day, like that's a disaster. <laughs> you would like some people would just drain rate based upon that alone. Um, and all of the stuff that you're adding to try to compensate for the lack of chemical management that you're doing, again, is contributing to just higher levels of total dissolved solids within the water and making the water just less manageable in general. So it's kind of like this cycle that you end up in where you're fighting the water as opposed to, in, you know, enjoying it. So you, you should clean your water more often. Okay. Don't try to like go six months or a year like so many hot tub owners do. There's so little advantage in you doing so. And the amount of work it takes to just own a submersible pump and drop it into your hot tub shotgun a beer while you're watching it drain. Like it's super easy. It's not hard to do. I actually have a joke on, on YouTube that was one of the first things I ever posted like eight years ago. And somebody was saying about this exact procedure, like, well, what, what's this pipe flush? I've never heard of it. it. Sounds like a lot of work. And I explained to them, look, grab a can of pipe flush, stab the can with a knife, throw the knife and the can into the hot tub. You're done. Shotgun a beer. Like, it couldn't be easy. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> well, I've got a question for you because there's all these people out there. They're like, oh, I'm done doing chlorine. I'm going to go saline or salt what's your opinion on that because okay, you know there's okay, a stale pitch for every hot tub breaks are on so salt water makes chlorine, chlorine. i know that making it of that salt so <laughs> these things are exactly the same so you you describe two things which are the same and uh, some people know that and but a lot of people don't still yep. there's a lot of misinformation out there about salt water it's not an alternative in any way the only thing you changed is where you get your chlorine from <laughs> somebody else used to make it for you and then give you a jug of chlorine. Now what you do is you just buy the same base ingredients they were using and you make your own chlorine right in the swimming pool. So those two things are the same. But you almost said, what's an alternative to chlorine? And that is such a hot button issue for me. Like if you want to, if you want to see me uh, bent out of shape, start talking to me about, you know, you're looking for an alternative to chlorine because you want to be healthier. And it's like, man, you couldn't be further from the truth with that. Like, chlorine is what differentiates safe water from unsafe water. And unsafe water is one of the most dangerous things on the planet. 
I think the statistic is one in every four hospital beds on the planet has someone in it who's sick from a waterborne illness. And people say like, oh, yeah, well, that's, you know, in Africa or some other place that's undeveloped. And I say, do you know what the main difference between us and them is? It's that we use chlorine in our water to keep it safe. So I'm talking everything from the food that or the water that you cook with, the water you wash your kids with, it all has chlorine in it. So when you come to me and say, you know, that stuff's dangerous, I want to use something else. I think to myself, this is crazy. You're ignoring what is the obvious answer here, which is learning how to work with chlorine so that you can manage safe water without having to use a whole bunch of extra because you didn't really know what you were doing, which is kind of what most people end up doing. And in a worst case scenario, you can get some bad advice, which is really easy to come by these days. And you can choose an alternative completely, you know, something that maybe works a little bit. Or maybe you choose something that doesn't work at all because there's not really any way to stop you from buying that or to stop somebody from claiming that something works really well. And people get sick and die. And that's the reality. And, you know, as a professional in the industry, I have to see that more than I definitely wish <laughs> wish that I did. Okay. And if people saw it a little more, they would be a little more sensitive to it. You know, chlorine is there to keep you safe in swimming water and any attempt to find an alternative to it. I mean, if you don't if you don't wear a lab coat to work every day, you have no business trying to figure this out on your own. Good point, man. Good point. Because, yeah, it's chlorine in, in pools that I've seen. You know, that's what keeps that water from people getting all those those illnesses in the tub. But at the same point, somebody out there mismanaging it can also make people sick by putting too much or hurt them by putting too much. Sure. I mean, and that's true for anything at all, but uh, when, when managed properly, I mean, you can have your, yourself exposed to pretty low levels of chemical sanitizer like chlorine or bromine. And again, it really comes down to just most of the people not really knowing what they're doing. And then you have to overcompensate by adding a bunch extra. So this brings up a good point. Like, do you recommend consumers, if you have a pool, have it managed by a, you know, a pool management company or do it themselves? I'm a big fan of the do-it-yourself approach. Uh, I come from a family of people that, I mean, my father's a great example. He's never hired a person to do a thing for him in his life. <laughs> Not from doing his roof to fixing a car to making a sandwich. He does everything himself. And so I kind of lean towards helping those people. Like, you can do this yourself. It's not really that hard. And I mean, there's a ton of service professionals out there who are amazing at their jobs. The chemical wizards. And there's a ton of yahoos out there who really have no business taking your monthly check for taking care of your pool, you know, like loading up chlorine packs into your skimmer basket and calling it a day. Like if, if you're, if you, if you have a pool and you pay somebody to take care of your pool, go and look in your skimmer basket. Is there chlorine packs in the skimmer basket? And if there is, you really should be asking yourself why you're paying this person to ruin your pool equipment. Because if you read the manual for any kind of system, which injects chlorine into a swimming pool, it says very clearly this must go last. You can't put this in front of a heater or in front of something else. It has to be the very last component before we return the water to the pool. And the reason you do that is you don't want that highly chlorinated water passing through your equipment. So it kind of, it doesn't make sense to me and it shouldn't make sense to you either to load up the skimmer basket of your swimming pool with chlorine packs. Like wouldn't that just be sending concentrated chlorine through each and every component of your equipment path, <laughs> which today is like 10 or $20,000 worth of stuff. Right, right. Definitely. Pools see guys so now see guys now you can argue with your wife to get rid of that pool boy that shows up on friday afternoon while you're in your meetings or uh, oh, yeah. i'm gonna take a lot of hate from those pool boys now <laughs> these pools we have a lot of husbands going see we don't need the pool boy <laughs> these swimming pools steve are a lot of money like my girlfriend and her family they just put in a pool it was a hundred thousand dollars 
So, I mean, these are. Oh, so they got an entry level one. Yeah, yeah that's an entry level pool. So, you know, yeah, it's it crazy, right? And, and and their pool's beautiful. I mean, it really is beautiful. And it's got, you know, curves and all kinds of like a beach area where you can lay. So they probably did really well doing it, but it's expensive. So. It, it actually sounds to me like it based on what you're describing. Yeah, they did a good job. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, so what are people price point? Are people actually really looking at for pools? And, and where do you think, you know, it fits into a budget? The first the first point on that that you have to to uh, understand is that geographically speaking, the price of a pool changes so much. You'd think it's like that's not even fair to have it cost that much different from one place to the next. And it's really the availability of skilled labor, the availability of materials, uh, how much demand there is in that area. Like if if you're in Arizona in the summer and you need a pool pump because your pool is going to turn green you got to work real hard to get somebody out there because everybody wants a pool guy there, right? Because it's everybody needs to be swimming always. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. And then, you know, I had a buddy that used to live in Palm Springs and about every August, he would get huge blocks of ice delivered to put into his pool to cool it because he would have plus, you know, 90 plus degree water. And he actually needed to have a cooling system for his pool, not a heating system, which to me is crazy. I don't know anything about how much it costs to buy and ship giant blocks of ice. It sounds really interesting, but (laughs) not super plausible to me. I'm pretty sure that the math behind that doesn't work, but I'm going to reference YouTube later. Um, I think that what you would be looking for, if you're one of those people, you want to buy something that's uh, got the ability to, it's called a chiller unit and it's on an electric heat pump. So an electric heat pump is kind of like a reverse air conditioner. And that's exactly what you're doing here is you're just transferring heat energy. And so in the same way that you can heat a pool in cooler weather, you can also cool down the pool. And so to that person, I would say every dollar that you invest into giant blocks of ice (laughs) would probably be better allocated towards buying a chiller unit on a heat pump. It's probably, swimming pool, Steve, it's probably not a common issue in Ontario, Canada of how to source ice for your pool. It's not, but you know, you get all kinds of crazy stuff. I had somebody ask me once about uh, coming in and working on a polar bear exhibit. So you never really know what you're going to get a call fair for point. the next day. That's fair. What do you think about slides and like waterfalls and all of these extra things? Like what, what's the hot <laughs> thing now with these pools? So tell me what the hot thing okay. is that people are doing to their pool. Slides, diving boards, and waterfalls. Like these people just have too much money. Have you seen how much this stuff costs? <laughs> around me. I'm doing something wrong with these the These must have elements like. <laughs> When you come to the table to have a new pool built, like most people don't do this every day. So it's a big deal. And you put a lot of thought into it and you kind of want all the bells and whistles. Like who wants just like a plain Jane pool if you're only going to do one in your life? And slides are cool. Diving boards are cool. uh, Waterfalls are cool as well. But I always ask them like, Look, let's look at the total budget here because there are so many things that you're going to be spending money on and so many things that are probably going to come up that you're not really thinking about. Like, where does this pool project end? Does it end with three feet of concrete wrapped around the pool here? Or do you want to add like a flagstone walkway or add mm-hmm. some lighting or an automation system or any other thing? And, you know, it's real easy to take your $100,000 and turn it into a $300,000 project. Real easy. I can do that in a 30 minute meeting. No problem. <laughs> so you kind of have to figure out where you're going to stop spending money. And for me, it's it's when you're looking at entertainment value versus functionality, I always favor functionality. Like I want a super efficient pool. If you're talking about putting in a slide, but I'm trying to get more funds allocated towards increasing the size of your plumbing line so you have a more efficient pool, I don't want you to buy the slide. Like, let's make the pool operate better because we have options to do that. 
and slides, diving boards, and waterfalls are massively expensive. Like you could spend a hundred grand just on slides, diving boards, and waterfalls, you know, and in theory they can be safe, but I'm, I'm very, very safety conscious and I'm skeptical about getting slides and diving boards. Again, it is something that I don't want to discourage people, you know, wholesale from getting these items, but I do want you to be conscious of the fact that these can affect your home insurance rates. Uh, they can affect your liability in the event of an accident from a family member or a neighbor who's using your pool. And again, we're hemorrhaging money building this pool. So where can we put that money? Like, let me give you a great example. An automatic cover is a great thing to add to a swimming pool. If you have $25,000 sitting around that you're not spending on anything else. Yep. So it's a lot of money. Yes, maybe we have to borrow that money from somewhere else in the project. But you're getting a lot of benefit here. You're getting enhanced safety for the pool because it's closed and locked out and you can't access the water. Further to that, there's the perceived safety. One day you might sell this pool and maybe the person buying your house wouldn't have bought it because they have small children. But they see that there's an automatic safety cover on this pool and they know the pool will be closed all the time. That's going to increase their safety. Like there's no guarantees. You must be so careful with swimming pools. I think every pool owner does know that. Uh, but having an automatic safety cover definitely goes a long way towards helping to improve the safety and security of the area. It also improves things like chemical efficiency and thermal efficiency to the tune of a 90% increase in thermal efficiency. So you're talking mm. massive savings, right? When you're talking about heating a pool. Expensive, right? I always joke. Yeah. I, I joke to pool owners. Oh, here's your new heater. See that slot in the front there? That's where you just feed $100 bills. And <laughs> heat up. Let's just like what per month if you have a pool? I mean, I know it's because it's size and all oh, these other geez, things. That's what the are hard you, part. Yeah, yeah. What are you adding to your electric bill like in an average pool a month? Well, it's a really hard question to answer because it's a very dynamic question. Yeah. You know, what's the what's the humidity in your backyard, right? So the, how much crosswind, how much sun, how much uh, surface area is the pool? What are the temperature differentials? What's the overnight lows? So there's not really any way for me to measure for you what you're losing in terms of uh, heat and what it's going to cost to replace that. But maybe we can parlay your question into something that's a very hot topic uh, issue right now, which is variable speed swimming pool pumps. Uh, the Department of Energy recently it's changed like the back, swimming pool pumps. Do you guys, yeah, yeah, that's probably something that you've dealt with the well. I mean, the, the simple logic is this, is that when you control the, the motor RPM, the amount of power that it consumes does not move in a linear fashion. So if I have a maximum RPM, you know, 3,450 RPM pump, and I turn it down, let's say 200 RPM, it's hardly any at all. If I was moving, let's say 100 gallons per minute before, I'm probably moving like 94 now, almost yeah. the same thing. But I probably reduce the amount of power that I'm using by 20 or more percent just from wow. that tiny little incremental change. And that that number multiplies the further you dial down the RPM. So the cost savings are massive. You have to be a little bit science and math minded to look at it and say like, is this, can I justify spending one or $2,000 on this pump? And I've built an entire test lab and hundreds of videos to show you that, yes, you absolutely want to do this. The savings are profound. Like I, that I had a, I showed a $4,300 savings on a seven year service cycle for a variable speed pump. So that hmm. you paid, you know, $700 more for the pump, but after seven years time, you have $4,300 in your pocket that you didn't have before. So technically speaking, the pump paid for itself multiple times over. Wow. Nice. So Steve, That's I want amazing. to back it up. If someone is thinking about putting a pool in their backyard and of course they, they look at the, um, the above ground pool, they look at the, properly built in-ground pool, where should people start thinking in this whole process? Because I'm sure it's very overwhelming for many homeowners. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, right away, you're, there's two markets that you've identified above ground and in ground. And those two things really are just different markets entirely. It's different people who buy the pools. The pools have different pr- price points and different longevity uh, points. But like realistically, and the, the above ground market itself, you could literally get an above ground pool for probably $500 or at least pre-pandemic. Now, I guess that's what, like a million dollars if you want. Yeah, exactly. One. But if you so, jump in, the walls will fall down, Steve. Wall? Like, yeah, I've been yeah, in those situations where we tried to knock the walls down. <laughs> but did you know that you could also buy an above ground pool that's ten or $15,000? Wow. Like you, yep. can, you can spend a lot of money on and get a pretty high quality above ground pool. Like, I mean, it's still above the ground. But you can get a pretty good quality. There's a really good middle of the road pool that hardly anyone knows about. And they're called on ground pools. They are basically a half buried pool. Like you probably knew people yeah. who took above ground pools back in the day and buried yeah. them. And yeah. it kind of worked sometimes and usually ended up that ruining the pool. <laughs> so they make pools that are able to be partially buried like that. Essentially, it's the, the quality of an in-ground pool kit closer to the price point of an above ground pool. And then you're kind of left with this half buried pool that you need to landscape around with a wood deck or something like that. But Mm. I consider that to be a great option that not enough people look at. It minimizes your dig costs. Um, Stuff like your plumbing is a lot easier to run because you're not having to dig four foot deep trenches and things like that. And you could probably get an on ground pool package for less than half the price of even the most elementary and entry level in ground pool package. And because I mean, in ground pools, there's a lot involved with putting in a pool, no matter what kind of pool you choose. Ah, Great advice. Great advice. And then I see a lot of people these days going with, you know, trying to figure out the heating options, because, you know, unless you're really in the the southern states, heating is a big thing. And the more north and, you know, you get it's more of a big deal. You know, I see people going solar. I see people going yeah, natural gas. What are some of the best ways to go as far as heating? And I know you already mentioned the heat pump. Well, again, this uh, comes down to a, a geographic question. Where are you located? Because, you know, how much sun you get, the ambient temperatures are different. But further to that, what do you pay for natural gas or for electrical service uh, delivered to your house? And those are going to be really important questions when we're looking at pool heat, because, again, we're talking about huge amounts of money here. So the the what I typically tell people is there's kind of two th- two ways that you'd go about heating a pool. One, you have a reduced pool season. It's not a year-round swimming season for you. You want to be able to extend into the colder shoulder months, the, the cooler seasons. Those people really should be looking at natural gas or propane just because of the raw power BTU output that these things can put out. I love electric heat pumps. They're fantastic and probably overall the most efficient way to heat a swimming pool. But they're not really great at getting you into those colder shoulder seasons, especially the early ones in the year, because it's still too cool for those things to operate very well. So it's kind of, you know, just comes down to what are your expectations of heat? Where are you located? You know, do you have natural gas? There's so many places now you don't even have the availability of natural gas. So then you're looking at propane. And if you can get a giant propane tank buried in your yard somewhere, you know, because these things use a crazy amount of fuel. Like it's something people don't realize uh, a family barbecue, like a big family barbecue might be 40,000 BTU. And it's pretty big, right? You can yeah. cook a lot on that. A pool heater could be 400,000 BTU. Like think about that. 10 family barbecues (laughs) all running on full at the same time, right? That uses a lot of fuel. We could agree. That is a lot of power. But you think about how much mass you're trying to heat. Exactly. And that's a big deal. 
Yeah, 8.3 pounds uh, for a cubic foot of water. So that's how much take your however many gallons you have and times it by 8.3. And that's how much your pool weighs. And you're going to need that many BTU to increase your pool temperature by one degree. Mm. Wow. So let's. So, and you actually, I just want to mention one more thing because yeah. you, you mentioned that anybody with a pool who's hearing us talk about heat and how expensive this is, they need to hear this. Get a solar blanket. The automatic pool cover might be 20 plus thousand dollars, but the problem is, is you had to put that on back when you built the pool. Now that you have an existing pool, your options are, I mean, you got a couple options, but they're not as good. A solar blanket, pretty much everybody can use. It might not be super convenient because you have to roll, roll it, it out or your pool might be oddly shaped and it's not, you know, wrinkles when you're trying to roll it up and it's a little bit of a hassle. But the thermal benefits that you get from it are outstanding. And they're just so inexpensive these days. They're really not very much money at all. Like probably under a hundred bucks, I could probably go find one. And you're going to get back that money in the first month that it's sitting on your pool. And you want to keep it on your pool at night, take it off during the day. It's not really intended to be left on during the day and try to heat the water that day. You probably could get some hotter water from doing that, but you're also going to compromise the filtration system and the availability for the sanitized water to reach all the areas of your pool. Plus the pools on top of the cover all become really concentrated with algae blooms. And when you roll up that cover, all that water goes directly into your pool. And then you come out tomorrow and your water's green. What's going on? <laughs> so put a solar blanket on the pool at night, take it off during the day. I know it's a lot of work, but it's a huge luxury having a swimming pool. And if you can reduce your cost by that much, you really should. Oh, go ahead. Now, do you have a preference out of what pools are built with? Because now we have all these options, right? There's fiberglass, there's inserts, there's Gunite, there. I mean, I've seen um, the liner pool. So I, I've always gone towards a Gunite pool because that's like my preference. Like people say, oh, it's a sea salt Gunite pool. It's so great. But there's a lot of maintenance and I've seen a lot of um, clients that I know have issues with it and it's very expensive to fix when it starts to crack and it's not done right. So what is your preference if you have one? Everything you've said is is right so far. So the I like concrete pools. The, all the best pools in the world are concrete. The biggest pools are concrete. The oldest pools are concrete. The craziest shapes, the most, um, you know, the, the really interesting engineering challenges. All of these are made from concrete. And there's a reason that we use it for building pretty much everything that we want to last in our modern world. So, yes, there are other options and there's reasons and times to use those other options. But just as a general point, concrete pools are the best. And there are a number of different concrete pools. Gunite, you mentioned one. Uh, gunite refers to an application method of concrete where you're basically pumping dry concrete and spraying it through a high velocity nozzle. Shotcrete is a similar process where you do so with a wet concrete mix. But cast in place, CIP pools, that's another way of applying concrete. Like basically you just pour, form and pour it like a foundation instead of like shooting it out of a shoulder mounted concrete can. And there's advantages and disadvantages for each, but I would place all concrete pools of all descriptions at squarely at the top of the heap. Mm. Nothing's even close. Um, and the price point does reflect that, unfortunately. <laughs> when you get into remediation or the guy you hired didn't build it very good. I'm dealing with a client right now. Actually, I think there's a bunch of people dealing with a bunch of problems where somebody took money for building pools and they just kind of built a box out of concrete, but they didn't use any steel or anything like that, Ooh. which is uh, for the uninitiated, you would, you would never do such a thing. Like if you're going to build a pool, there's a ton of steel involved in building a pool and engineering specifications, I might add as well. And this person didn't do that. They dig holes, they cash checks, they disappear. And that is something that unfortunately has plagued the pool industry since inception. You know, there's there's always cowboys out there. And unfortunately, this industry, more so than most, invites them 
due to the dynamic nature of this industry. It's largely unregulated. I come from a family of tradespeople, but I don't have a swimming pool trade designation because there is yep. no such right, thing. Right. I would have a very hard time to explain to you as a customer, look, yeah, I'm a pool guy. The next guy that you're going to talk to is a pool guy too. But trust me, my experience is far more, you know, uh, in, uh, apt for the project that we're doing here. This other guy, maybe he specializes in cleaning filters or something like that. Has he ever built a pool? Is there any way for you to know if he's built a pool? Like, I, I got a question for you here. I thought of this this morning. I would think that you two would be more informed than the average homeowner in terms of like, you know, protecting your best interests when hiring, let's say, a contractor or something like that. Have either of you ever heard of Genesis in terms of uh, relation to swimming pool or swimming pool building? I haven't. Nope. Does that mean anything to you? Nope. No. Nope. And to the average swimming pool owner or homeowner wouldn't mean a thing either. I actually made it through 25 years in this industry before that name ever was even mentioned to me. And I was like, no, I've never heard of them. It's like, oh, interesting, because like the highest caliber of water shape designers in the world get their trade certification through this program called Genesis. And it was another pool builder that was telling me about this because they were thinking of joining, joining and it's pretty expensive to join mm -hmm. uh, and take these courses. But I mean, you're learning like the most cutting edge stuff in the world. Huh. But his point to me was, if I don't know about it and I've already won international awards for building pools, what are the chances <laughs> that the average homeowner's ever heard of this? And I'm going to say raise about zero. zero. And this is part of the problem <laughs> is big. you can't find somebody who's trade certified. You can't find somebody who has like any sort of certification that you're familiar with, you know, and that makes it really hard for somebody to differentiate themselves as a true professional. And conversely, it does allow an open door for unscrupulous or perhaps just underskilled individuals to be doing projects that they really shouldn't be involved in. And that's where those nightmare stories come from pool, for pool owners. And as a professional in the industry, it's, you know, it's hard to hear that kind of stuff. I feel really bad for people. It's just supposed to be one of the best things you ever buy. And then to have a nightmare instead. Ugh, what the other thing too, is I see a lot of professionals, at least in our area in the Northeast, they may not know how to apply a product. So for example, cool decking is a real big issue. Down in the South, it may work well. We had a lot of problems with the cool decking here that it was cracking and bubbling up because of the soil underneath the clay. And so it's had to be removed, reapplied, removed, reapplied, and then not put down at all because and the contractor's like, I've never seen this happen. It, is it their fault or is it just the fact that it doesn't work well in our climate? That's a, it's a actually a very technically nuanced question. In general, I've worked on the West Coast. I spent 15 years in Vancouver and Whistler um, and then nice. from Ontario. And I've spent quite a bit of time working on pools here. When you live in a climate that experiences freeze-thaw conditions, at pretty much every concrete application that you can name that's exposed to these, it just does funny things. It can, it can be very difficult to manage or predict what's going to happen. And what you end up with is kind of just a difference in what is an acceptable standard. If I took a pool finisher from the West Coast and I brought them into Ontario, Canada, or, you know, maybe just south of me down into New York or any of the popular areas like New Jersey, like there's New Jersey's kind of the center for a lot of pool equipment supply. If I brought them down there and said, hey, inspect these pool plasters on concrete swimming pools, the, every single one, they'd say this needs to be taken out and redone. This is not good enough. It's, this is this is failed. It's reached the end of its service life. 
And I would say it's a week old. Right. Exactly. Old. That's what yeah. happened. Like it, there's just the quality of the workers for that type of work around here are not the same as the areas like, again, Arizona. If you know how to apply cool deck, what are you doing in New Jersey? Go down to Arizona and you can literally be a millionaire. You can just work a thousand hours a week. You can have a hundred employees next week, like immediately. Such a great point. But you bring up a great thing with climate. I mean, especially like where you're talking about, you know, just from Vancouver to Whistler, that hour and change to get between point A and point B, you have two extreme climates that treat anything concrete completely different. And it's an hour away. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then let's go an hour in the other direction and go to Richmond where you throw a shovel into a ground in the, into the ground to build a pool. And, oh, we hit water. There's already water. One <laughs> shovel in. Yep. It's hard to, hard to build a pool like that. It is. And I did a lot of building in Whistler because I was there pre-Olympics and it was just, it was a literal free for all uh, in terms of like large scale construction contracts, everything from, you know, the hotel construction to booming res uh, residences where, I mean, we're talking about a residence that's 600 square feet and it's $10 million or something like yeah. that. So it's people throw money at pool projects. Like it's, you couldn't believe, but even to this day, I think about the projects that I did there and I'm building pools and reflecting ponds that are worth more than my house 20 years later on the East coast. Like it's. Oh, wait, I heard something. I don't, went. what's a reflecting pond. I don't know what that is. In this particular case, it was just a, an a entirely black tile, um, like it was a water feature essentially under one of their bay windows mm. and it's supposed to reflect the mountains in it, into it. Yeah. It just seemed like a good place to put a bunch of money. So I helped them dig the hole. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, cause I love beautiful tiled pools, but you have so many different trades now that are building that. And that can be its own disaster waiting to happen because you got the concrete guy in there that's either doing concrete Shotcrete, you know, gunite, whatever they're doing, it's all concrete when it's all cured up. By the time it's pretty much done, you still have that surface. But now you've got to have a craftsperson go through and lay tile over that surface. And then they have to make that tile, which is now submerged underwater, stick to this and miraculously hold for, for years to come. What's your thought about that when you've got tiled pools that are just completely beautiful but the cost is outrageous to me i don't think people understand when you say outrageous they're they're thinking a number less than what it actually is because uh -huh. it's much higher than what they're picturing um you can spend a hundred thousand dollars just in product costs to bump from one tile to a tile you like a little more mm. and here's the problem if i go to a tile store and i'm like hey i'm building a pool what do you have for pool tile the guy behind the counter is like oh yeah uh pool tile here what about this stuff it doesn't come with any documentation or certification and when i put it in a pool and it all just breaks you know in the sun or from thermal shock and i go back there they're like yeah i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> like it's it's all very fast and loose when it comes to tile in terms of what the average homeowner is going to experience but the reality is the number of tiles which are actually suitable to use in swimming pools are very small. And the ones which are suitable are usually quite expensive, uh, more so than what people are expecting. Further to that, the installation standards for tile, like the whole idea tile is a good idea is because of the impressively long service life. When done properly, you could still have good looking tile in a pool 50 years from now. When done wrong, you could sink all that money like you're going to get a 50 year service life. And in three seasons, you have tiles just falling, falling off. off all over the place. So here's what happens. Here's here's the disconnect. When you build a concrete swimming pool, 
it's built out of concrete, right? The shell is concrete. And then you have like maybe a, let's say a plaster surface is common and tiles around the top. That plaster is just sand and cement. So technically it's concrete too. So we have a concrete shell and we have a concrete surface. Exactly at what point does the water stop running out of this pool? Because if you notice, if you pour a cup of water onto the sidewalk out front of your home, the concrete just absorbs it, right? Because yep. concrete's a porous substance. So that's the disconnect. You get a lot of swimming pools built traditionally and even to this day built without any waterproofing at all. And you can get away with it. The pool's buried in the ground. The, the concrete will become saturated with water and its rate of water loss will slow somewhat. But ultimately that pool's leaking from day one. And that really comes back to haunt you in terms of stuff like an interior surface like tile because you'll get uh, efflorescence growth or a calcium-like deposit that grows and it can cause your tiles to delaminate. In fact, it will cause your tiles to delaminate. And the way that you stop that is with a waterproofing system. And I, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's not high enough. Not enough swimming pools are built with waterproof waterproofing systems in mind. And there's a bunch of them out there. There's a whole lot of great options and it's a technical subject unto itself because there's the right one for the right application. Uh, but if you're having a concrete swimming pool built, and you're not reading anything about a waterproofing application or any specific point you're paying for a bunch of waterproofing, you should be wondering why you're not. And if you're going to, let's say, invest $100,000 or more just in buying nicer tiles, and then you're going to put that into your pool, which is $30,000 on top of what the plaster would be. So we're talking minimum of $130,000, put like some decent glass tiles into a pool. You want to be sure that they're going to last. You want to have certification that shows that they've undergone the right uh, testing for things like thermal shock um, and the uh, the porosity and the, the the meshing that attaches to the back. You'll see that so often. You're not supposed to have anything covering the back of tiles. There, it's something like a 98% contact point between the thin set and the tile to set it properly on the wall. So you have to use something like a paper face tile, which is much more difficult to install. So the average guy out there is just grabbing some tiles from Home Depot, blasting them up and cashing your checks. And they shouldn't be because those tiles are not going to last. They probably weren't the right ones and you might not have a waterproofing system at all. So, I mean, you've really got to do your homework and protect yourself when you're buying a, we're, again, we're talking about concrete pools in specific. There's a lot of other yeah. kinds of pools, but I mean, these guys are at the top of the pile. This is where the most money is going into these concrete pools. So I definitely want to see homeowners being protected against, you know, having a problem with their tile because that is one of my my least favorite people to talk to like hey i spent 150 grand on tiles and my pool's destroyed what should i do and it's like well you need to start over like mm -hmm. that's, that's such a hard conversation to have have you seen i was down uh steve at the uh, world of concrete a few years back and i saw some new concrete admixes where they were adding uh, a, a, a package to the concrete that made the concrete waterproof where water doesn't come through that has that any of that made it into the pool industry yet that you've seen? You bet. And there's a, you know, again, this is super technical stuff, a yeah. very nuanced conversation. And there could be a few different things that describe what you're uh, describing there. Uh, you could be adding like a thing that essentially grows crystals. You put it into the mix itself as an admixture and it grows a silica based crystal, which essentially seals all the pores and makes it waterproof. <laughs> I've used those back in the day and they worked really well for like a waterfall or, you know, some outdoor feature. But I saw it used in an application where somebody had a pool above indoor living space. And you know what? 99.9% .9 waterproof is not good enough. Uh, so there, there are other products out there as well. 
Um, I don't want to be too brand specific, but sure. they're, you know, the everybody's familiar with one of them. It's called RedGuard because it's something that's existed forever. If you've ever built a yep. shower, you probably know about RedGuard. Well, how come you had to sh- waterproof that shower, but you don't have to waterproof your pool? You <laughs> do have to waterproof your pool. And there's other products that, like that as well. Oh, there's a lot. Um, that's, that's a common one. But yeah, there's a lot of even more high-end products out there that work even better than RedGuard. But RedGuard is kind of the Kleenex of it all. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the one that I'm hoping people will be familiar with so they can make that connection and go like, oh, yeah, we did have to do that. It does seem like my pool should need something like that as well. And if it were over a living space or on the roof of a hotel, you'd bet it, yeah. it would need something better than than nothing at all. You know, hopes and prayers and absorbing concrete. No offense, Red Guard, but I'd want to go something a little more heavy duty than just that on that, as you know. Yeah, the, well, let's since I, I, I did mention some names of some lesser good stuff, let's say I would also like to say the names of Laticrete yep. and Basecrete. Mm-hmm. Those are two names that I think would I would be Googling if I were a, you know, a homeowner looking at building a concrete pool, trying to get my head around waterproofing. And again, this is a very deep technical subject yep. and should enable you to have conversations with with pool builders where you can kind of get a better feeling for their technical um, abilities. Because if they're like waterproofing, I've never heard of it. Like I'm worried immediately. You shouldn't be able to introduce a waterproofing subject to this concrete pool builder that they're not already familiar with. They should already know all of them. And is that, Steve, is that typically built in, like Eric's talking about, into the concrete? It's part of it? Or is it a separate process that goes on before you put the concrete on? I've not had success with admixture-based ones, kind of as I indicated before. They're very good, but maybe not perfect. And sometimes perfect is what you need. Uh, And so everything that I've found is uh, like a a staged, layered approach. So we finish the concrete shell, and then we put this layer on, and then we spray that, and then we put another layer on, and then the final layer. So that's kind of the way it goes. And each one is the technical steps involved have to be perfect they really do it's not like where you can kind of read the instructions and be like ah well i mean it's too hot today but we're going to do it anyway no you have mm. to you have to follow the instructions because this is really technical stuff really yeah. detailed oriented mm-hmm. another company i've worked with a lot too on those kind of waterproofing stuff is ardex out of i think they're a german-based company but uh they're big in the tile industry now and have been slowly taking over marketplace but those guys have some very technical products for waterproofing that uh, can also do that type of stuff. But you're right. You got to do the research on this because otherwise you might as well just go take that $400,000 and put it in a barrel out in your driveway and burn it because you're going to need it next time. Pretty much just get an inflatable hot tub and call it a day. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of hot tubs. So if people are out there, that's a great, that's a great transition to this question, Steve. People go out and start looking for hot tubs. And I know right now, if you're going to go special order a hot tub, it could be 18 months to get mm-hmm. one. But when people are out looking at hot tubs and they're, and we're not talking brands here so much, but what should people be looking at when they go out and go, you know, I need to get myself a hot tub. Again, this is another pretty deep question. Let's uh, divide it in the beginning. There's pre-manufactured hot tubs. And then there's like a custom-built concrete hot tub. Uh, being that I was a custom-built concrete hot tub guy, I definitely would say those are great. And I would, you know, endorse them heavily. Again, if you've just got like Scrooge McDuck levels of money and <laughs> look towards the concrete hot tub, they're fantastic. You can't go wrong. Like every house in Whistler has that custom-built concrete hot tub, but it's not really affordable to the average person. The pre-built market is the majority of hot tubs. And I love the pre-built market. You know, the it's one thing to you know build a high quality product that lasts forever, but look at what you get with a like concrete hot tub. You might spend fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars, 
and it's a box with eight jets. That's what you have. There's no ledge. There's no lounge. There's no cluster jets with 40 jets on your back. Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with the pre-built market, that's what you're getting. Like if you even just go down to like to the local hardware store, you can probably find a hot tub with 50, 60, 80 jets in it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking a different quality of jet, but at the same time, the price point is so attractive with, you know, mm. if you had, let's say $5,000 probably gets you into something that would be a quality piece for a pre-built hot tub. Uh, I know it's quite expensive, uh, but it, I mean, that's what it is. There's a lot going on in a hot tub these days. And sure. uh, the high end of the market is much higher than that, too. You know, another 10000 on top of that for some of the premier brands. But you're going to get seven to 10 years out of it. They're very highly insulated. They have all the bells and whistles from waterfalls to lights to stereos, everything all built in. Like I said, 100 jets, three different pumps, all in one package that you just crane in or roll in and drop there, hook it up with power. And they're very efficient to run as well. You know, even up in the colder areas like where I am, we used to say it's, you know, about a dollar a day to run these hot tubs, Uh, maybe a little bit more now, uh, you know, because everything's getting more expensive. But even if it was $45 a month, like that's not very much money to be able to use a hot tub every single day, which is what I do with mine. Like every single day of the year, I'm in my hot tub nice. and there's a lot of advantages. We're coming to hang out with Swimming Pool Steve. <laughs> well, you'll have to bring your own hot tub because there's there's two types of hot tubbers in the world. There's party hot tubbers and there's people like me who kind of look at it like a bathtub. Oh my God, me too. You know, I'm with you. I am so with you, Steve. Like I don't really want to share my hot tub with you. No, thanks. I have, I'm going to laugh at this. You're going to laugh at this question, but I've gone, I'm, I'm a tiny person, right? Like I'm five foot two, about a hundred pounds. And when I go into people's hot tubs, what happens is the seat is never fit for me. So what happens is the jets start pushing me off the seat and I have a really hard time staying down in the hot tub. So it becomes a hot mess. I'm like floating around and like I don't fit in and the jets don't hit me in the right spots and it's hitting me in the ear. Is this like a common problem? Like, do you have to have it? Like, do you have to have it accustomed to you or like, what's the problem? Yeah. So the problem is just that, is that, you know, they, they manufacture these things and they kind of just aim for the middle of the road. The really tall people have the same problem, right? Like yep. if you're just sitting there and it's only coming up to like to the middle of your stomach, it's, it's not as enjoyable exactly. for everybody else. At six foot eight, but I'm kind of like, okay, that was designed kind of for somebody like me but yeah exactly (laughs) or the like the six person hot tub like but everybody's feet are just sandwiched on top of each other (laughs) the the footwell is only 12 inches squared yep the seat a weighted pillow a weighted pillow was the solution to that every hot tub store should have them it's just something that you can throw in there and sit on and then when you're done you hang it on the edge and it just drains itself out um and being that it's weighted you're not fighting to sit on it right it's it's a lot easier and that way you can at least get to the right level where the jets aren't shooting into your ears because that doesn't sound good i've also seen some of the higher end hot tubs where they have that lounge position where they have some controls as well where you can dial it in and back and stuff like that i had one a number of years ago that did that and uh and that was pretty pretty handy as well Definitely. But, you know, as somebody who's I've talked to a lot of people about buying hot tubs. And one of the things that I would be saying to you if we were having this conversation through the buying process is I would be making you question whether you actually want that lounge position. Uh, for one, it takes up a lot of room in the in the spa, but also it just doesn't work. As soon as you lay back like that, you just float. It is what it is. And, uh, you know, women especially can have a real problem with that. You know, if you're especially buoyant, it's, it's not the relaxing experience. So now you're on a weighted pillow with weighted pillows on top of you. And at this point, you're like, is this is this even exactly? You're like fight. It's like a process for me to point. fight in there. Like I lose calories. Just like. <laughs> 
So, Steve, I've seen out there, you know, gas-fired pools. I've seen, you know, in my area, it's mostly electric. What's your favorite way to to heat the the, the hot tub water as far as that goes for the for the hot tub? Well, if, okay, it depends if we're talking about, again, a custom-built product versus something that's that pre-built off the model. Shelf. Pre- yeah, off the shelf. The pre-built model all have that electric element style heater, which is like your kettle, right? It's just yep. a piece of metal that that heats up. And it is the least efficient way to heat water. That being said, you make up for it by having a very robust insulation system in these pre-built hot tubs. So you can still manage to keep the cost down, even though the element heating is maybe not necessarily the most efficient option. Uh, from the the other end of the spectrum with these custom-built um, hot tubs, quite often the hot tub is attached to a swimming pool. It's called a shared pool and spa system. Yep. And it's a way to kind of share the equipment between the pool and hot tub such that you get both without maybe necessarily 100% of the cost of the pool plus 100% of the cost of the spa. We can shave a little off by saving by sharing the equipment. And that would be probably the, at that point, you want a 400,000 BTU heater. And that's the biggest that you can have installed. And the reason that you want that is because you need to heat your spa quickly. You have a spa that's at 80 degrees because that's the temperature you keep your pool at. And again, the the system is shared. So the water is shared between the two. And you decide, well, I want to use my hot tub tonight. You turned it on and the heater changes the set point from 80 to 104 and starts heating. But how long is that going to take? Are you comfortable waiting an hour and a half for that? Because most people wouldn't be. We typically want to be under an hour and ideally under half an hour. But heating water is it takes a long time. So if you had anything other than the largest heater that you can get, which is 400,000 BTU, you're going to be standing there with your towel on waiting for an hour and a half for the spa to come up to temperature. And no other form of heat is going to be even close for that. That kind of like an electric heat pump would take six hours if it could even do it. You know, the temperature would allow. Good point. Good point. Because, yeah, that's um, that's a good point with that. And I really like those as far as that luxury of being in the house and having those two connected together. But I hadn't thought of that because I haven't actually owned one that had that with the pool and that 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 would be a a lag time of, hey, you want to hit the hot tub? Great. Uh, (laughs) Give me a couple hours. <laughs> kind of buzz. I have a, I have a subject here that, it, that I'd like to uh, introduce that I think would help pool owners a little bit. And it's just the, when you're, when you're dealing with a pool company at this time of year, most especially, you called 100, zero of them called you back, maybe one out of pity returned your phone call just to say that they're not going to help just you. Just to tell you now. What is the disconnect? Like, why is nobody calling me back? And there's two reasons. One, we're all run off our butts right now because everybody wants to open their pool at the same day, essentially. But what most homeowners don't realize is that the landscape of the pool industry looks a lot more like the automotive industry. I like to make that comparison a lot because it's something that people can understand. Think of how many people are involved in the process of building a car from the engineers to the salespeople to, you know, scientists to managers and production line workers and welders and electricians and salespeople and all these things pool industry is the same like i'm a pool guy right and if anybody meets me oh swimming pool steve yeah so my hot tub's broken how do i so and so it's like look <laughs> I, I definitely appreciate your hot tub's broken i charge a thousand dollars an hour are you sure you want to talk to me about it <laughs> and and that's what you don't really realize when you leave a message Stealing for that. some random pool company you looked up and you're like hey i'm looking for somebody on friday to come out and pressure wash you know bird crud off of my pool deck but the guy that you're calling has a doctorate in chemical sciences he's not interested in coming out and pressure washing that he's not even going to return your phone call so what you really need to do as a homeowner or pool owner specifically 
is kind of identify the, the service you're looking for. I own a concrete pool. I need a renovation. I own a vinyl liner pool that needs a liner, or I just own a pool and I'm looking for a weekly service company. Your message should include that because no pool guy's going to answer you. We can't. Every live call I take, I miss 10 at this time of year. Mm. So you have to leave a message. Give me something to work with and recognize that pool companies have very narrow focuses of their bread and butter work. You have service companies, you have renovation companies, you have builders. Builders don't build everything. They build concrete pools or they build liner pools or they build fiberglass pools. These lines are very hard within the industry and there's very few people that cross those lines to maximum effectiveness. Many people cross those lines just to stay busy at times, but not necessarily doing their bread and butter work. So when you're a homeowner, you need to recognize that this, the landscape of the pool industry is very complicated. There's very little in the way of certifications, trade certifications that you can rely on. And even in terms of the, the company you're contacting, like you could be just contacting the absolute wrong people for what you need. And it's not going to be super apparent to you that's the case. So just you have to kind of protect your own interests here. Pools are super expensive and super complicated. So you just need to be aware that that's the situation, that there's a lot of different kinds of pool workers out there. And the more specific that you can be with what you're looking for, the higher the likelihood you're going to find somebody that can help you well. So, Steve, I'm a, I'm a technology guy and I do a lot of speaking across the country with technology. What do you think about these pool robotic vacuums that are out there I on the like marketplace? Them. You know, there's a there's a lot of cool technology out there. What, do you, what are your thoughts on those? I love them. I, every pool should have a robotic vacuum. It used to be suction-based and pressure-based vacuums that relied on the pool filtration equipment in order to operate, uh, or sometimes even have a separate pump, as in the, the case of a pressure side cleaner. And they, they work well enough, but we can now divorce the cleaner from the filtration system. Um, and there's a number of benefits in doing that. And uh, on top of the fact, the robotic cleaner is just cool mm -hmm. to have, I think. Yeah, um, we name I think our that it's more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think that it's something that more pool owners would have should have with the one thing that I would like to mention. They are a maintenance vacuum. Like if you open your pool and a tree fell into it over the winter and it's a disaster, don't just kick this poor robot into the pool and be like, all right, good luck, buddy. I'll see you later. Send them clean the pool, then put in the vacuum. And most people are like, what are you talking about? Clean the pool and then put the vacuum in. It's like, well, I'm sorry. That's what they're built to do. <laughs> it's not, it's not there to clean up the natural disaster, oh. but if, exactly. if you need things exactly. scrubbed up, it'll take care of it. But yeah, we're not quite there yet. Hopefully soon. I've got a question Go for in. you. So we've got, we've Go got ahead. all these the sharks they throw in, kids throw in the noodles, the floaties, the find a fish. Like what is for people who have pools, what is something you don't want to have in your pool from like an accessory standpoint that really messes up either the liner or the concrete? Because I see kids put everything in a pool and I'm just I know there's stuff you find and you get there and you're like, oh, look at this thing stuck in the filter. Oh, sure. There's so many different things that could qualify for that. But basically, like pool toys only for the pool, I think is a good rule. And that's going to rule out a lot of things that are going to contain metal or something sharp or malicious or definitely nothing ever with glass anywhere near a swimming pool, you know, and uh, th I really don't have any problems at all with any of the toys out there with the whole idea that you got to take it out when you're done. Mm -hmm. Don't just leave everything in the pool because that's um, uh, harming your chlorine demand, right? Your chlorine's like attacking this thing and oxidizing it like it's a foreign invader. 
it won't last as long. You're going to use more chemicals like we were talking about earlier. Um, so that's kind of the thing is I think that go ahead and use anything. The pool's there to have fun. But when you're done, you should take everything out of the pool. And especially if you're on a maintenance contract, like I, again, I'm probably sympathetic to like the pool pro a little bit more, but if I'm there to clean your pool and I have to spend 20 minutes just pulling stuff out of the pool well, so that I can access the pool. I don't, you don't understand. I don't get that kind of time in the day. I don't get washroom breaks. I eat my sandwich while I'm walking. Like there is no fat in the day of a swimming pool worker. If I had to wait five minutes for you to come and unlock the gate, I have to leave because I, I have 10 to 15 minutes allotted per pool. It's crazy huh. how little fat there is for swimming pool maintenance. So yeah, that's just a kind of a, a point of, you know, being and, you know, same, same thing, like cleaning up after your dogs and stuff like that. Be respectful well, yeah. when you have to have service workers working in your backyard. Good point, Steve. We're starting to run out of time, but we want to make sure we talk about you for a bit here since you've come on the show and in your YouTube. And let's talk a little bit about how people can track you down. Oh, I'm easy to find. Swimming pool, Steve. You type that into anything, you're finding me pretty quickly. Your knowledge base is incredible about pools. How did you get into that? I got really... Yeah, I, I got lucky just having my family that was into the the trade already. And I, as I mentioned before, I come from an extremely technical background, like just all electricians and mechanics and builders in my family. Uh, and I got the like really the best case scenario is I kind of came into the family business after the big boom. And it was more or less maintaining the existing clientele, like changing a line around a pool that we had built 15 years earlier or something like that. But I worked one on one with my uncle for basically 10 years and I don't know where he got the patience from but it was amazing like he would just field my questions all day long and I'm one of those people that just I never run out of questions to ask and uh it was just so interesting for me I was able to advance the way that I learned so quickly and I didn't even really understand it I remember one season he was unwell and I had to take a job with the local pool company as like I think it was maybe 15 or something like that and he told me well definitely tell them that you want to be a crew leader and I'm like what are you talking about a crew leader? These, these are all men, yeah. a child here. And he was a hundred percent right. The skills that, and the knowledge that I had were far more than anybody else that they had on staff there. And that's kind of something that I've experienced time and time again. It, it's really just comes down to the fact that I want to know more about this. And when a question comes up, I'm not happy when people just shrug. Like that's when I started in this industry, that's what it was. If the guy standing next to you did not know the answer to the question, you just didn't get to know that answer because there was no Google. There was no way to figure it out. And even if there was, people were not forthcoming with information like these are trade protected secrets. I'm not going to tell you my secret to doing a thing because now you're going to be my competition. <laughs> and it always just kind of irked me because mm -hmm. the industry sucks. We have all of this lack of technical congruency from one pool to the next. Like you could literally take 10 pools in any town, whatever town you're in. Go find 10 pools and they're going to be built 10 different ways oh, with 10 different so, descriptions yeah. why they're doing it that way. So true. And it's all from just in-house process that has been, you know, kind of refined over the years. And we're getting better. We're getting better as an industry where people are starting to come together and agree on how we should do things. And maybe even some builders are starting to follow those rules, which is fantastic. But I think we have a lot of growing to do. And uh, I, I'm, doing, I'm doing what I can to change that. Like I just put everything I know is available at swimmingpoolsteve.com. There's absolutely nothing that I, I hold back. I mean, I guess it's easy for me to say now. And this is my 30th year in the industry. I'm no longer active in the field. I have a, a medical condition that prevents me from being able to work outside. And so it kind of put a damper on that. I'm very fortunate. I was able to parlay what I know into this index of swimming pool information at Swimming Pool Steve. And uh, 
it's I think I'm up to almost 500 articles that I've written on the website, a thousand videos, just under a thousand videos on my YouTube channel. Dude. So there's definitely a lot of information there, like probably more than you can absorb as an average pool owner. Uh, but I think that it's I think that I've made a difference. I think yes. that from the time I really started this as a full time venture eight years ago to the point I'm at now, you can say things like galvanic corrosion or sacrificial anodes or talk about savings with variable speed pool pumps and the average person and the average pool technician is going to know what you're talking about. They're going to have heard of these things before. Like I remember encountering a sacrificial anode on a pool 20 years ago, and I could not find a person to tell me what it was there for. And the guy who owned the pool must have been an electrical engineer because it would be the only reason that somebody had that knowledge back then. Yep. Uh, but the reality is, is that I think I have changed and I think the industry has improved as a result. And I hope that I can continue to improve it as I move forward. Nice, man. Is there anything else out there that we didn't cover today that you wouldn't mind throwing out there as a tip that's uh, that's a hot one for everybody out there. Geez, I really can't think of anything off the top of my head. Maybe just the one thing that I really kind of preach to people in general. Um, pool water chemistry. It's there for safety. Obviously, we touched on that earlier and the importance thereof. I think that the average pool owner doesn't understand how tentative the balance of your water chemistry is. And if you don't do it right, there's not really any obvious sign. The pool still looks good. The kids don't come out with purple hair, so everything must be fine. <laughs> But then your heater failed at year five, you know, when a heater is like three or five thousand dollars these days. And that's such a bummer. You you remember your grandparents used to get 20 or 30 years out of their heater. Like, what the heck? I don't think products are built to last the way they were. I don't think that people have forgotten how to manage water quality. Like maybe they have a little bit from conflicting information, but not to this extent. And I think that if we admit that maybe things aren't built to last like they were before, you understand the importance of something like saturation index balancing in your water. You need to maintain a neutral saturation index balance in your water such that you don't have an acidic state and you do not have a scaling state, both of which over a long period of time could cause chemical related damage to various pool equipment, like a pool heater, for example. So that's that's basically the number one thing is don't ignore chemistry for your water. Don't think just because the water oh, it looks pretty clear, everything must be fine. You can't tell by looking. You really should be trying to uh, understand the numerical values behind water testing. Don't ever say to me, oh, my water variables, they're all good. There's no such yeah. thing as good. There are, there are specific numerical values that I need to know because the answer lies in those numbers. And so the, if the average pool owner knew that a little bit better, I think they'd have a lot easier of a time both managing the water, but also seeking help and advice. Well, now they Perfect, do. Steve. You're our swimming pool Absolutely. expert, Steve. That's it. Everyone go to Swimming Pool Steve. <laughs> Find him on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and your pool be Website. Yep, out there. super, super great. Thanks for coming on the show today, brother. Thanks, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around, Around the, the House. House.
Hey, it's Eric G from around the house. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.